Good morning, everybody. Uh, we had reference to Courageous, the men's ministry earlier, and there was a reference to us playing with swords. And I just want to say we learned from the first time, and so this next time the plan is to use chainsaws, just so you know. If you're a guy, that's what we have planned, seriously. So that uh, verse there, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, is one of the most profound expressions of faith in the scripture. And today we're actually having, I, I really don't know what to feel, to tell you the truth, because we're looking at one of the heaviest, most profound, deepest books of the Bible, the book of Job, and I just feel really happy, and I feel like I shouldn't be happy as I talk about this really serious, heavy topic. Um, we are in this series called Old School. And what we're doing is we're looking back in time, back 3,000 years at some sages, some wise old men to give us some perspective on life. And so we're looking what is called in the scripture, the wisdom literature. A few weeks ago, we looked at the book of Proverbs. And then last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we're looking at the book of Job. So uh, we do have a little uh, video for you. Again, it's excellent by the Bible Project. But that's not where the book ends, because after this, God... But that's not where the book ends, because after this, God restores... To we'll get it. We'll get it. More time for me to teach. <laughs> Let's just go without it, Steve. We're good. Oh, you got it. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes who observes, well, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan? Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is 
devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least for chapters one and two. But then in chapter three, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals this devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is, and he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered, and yet he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. Every, every person here uh, is going to suffer, right? Welcome to H2O, you will suffer. Whether that's suffering in a very small little way, such as receiving criticism, or whether it is in some mother of all trials like cancer. We all will suffer, and so we must have God's wisdom on this topic. And as I've thought about this, I want you to consider the person who suffers kind of like being in a cave. 
They're there in the mouth of the cave, and above and around them is darkness. They can look out and make some sense of the world, but there's a ceiling above them. They can't reach up and find God and explain what God is doing. So let me give you a little bit of background information about the book of Job. First of all, there's no author. We don't know who the author is. It's written anonymously. Some people say that it's Moses. Other people say that it might be Solomon. We just don't know who the author is. It also did not come stamped with the date upon it. So we don't even know when the book of Job was written. Some people say it's the oldest book in the Bible. Others will say it's much later in uh, the history of Israel. So there was no publishing company that gave us that information, and that makes interpretation rather difficult. There's actually very little information given about Job himself. It's just not a lot of info. We do know that there's allusions to him both in the Old Testament and in the New, in Ezekiel and in James, so that we can say, okay, this is a historical person. This is a real dude. He really lived. He was a wealthy man. He was a man that loved God. And he lived in the land of Uz. This is a real place. I know it doesn't sound like it. But Uz, most theologians think, is uh, northern Arabia. It's just an old name. So he is the man who had it all, but then lost it all. And as alluded to there in the video, the opening chapter of Job is one of the most difficult sections of Scripture to interpret. The Satan, the enemy, comes up to God and has a conversation and barters a deal. He has this negotiation. There's a negotiation or a challenge or a dare between heaven and hell. And what are we supposed to do with that? It's very challenging to say the least, especially when you consider that one of the things Satan has the freedom to do is to kill Job's children. And so there's two different interpretations here that I want to just discuss before we get into this more deeply. The first is the literal interpretation. The literal interpretation is the book of Job is telling us play by play exactly what happened. The words that come out of the mouth of Job, the words that come out of Job's friends, exactly what happened. The conversation in heaven, it's exactly what happened. There's something very wholesome about this interpretation in that there are things that are difficult in the scripture and we don't run from them. I think Jim and I actually are drawn to them. I think when we see a challenging thing to talk about from the Bible, we want to move into that. There are things that I believe because the scripture teaches it and it's tough and challenging, and yet we trust the word of God. And yet there's also some difficulties with this interpretation. If the purpose of the author of Job is to teach us that we can trust God even when life falls apart, I think chapter 1 undermines the goal of his writing. If we if the purpose of the book of Job is for us to fear that God would, we are so expendable to God that he might just throw our children away, I think the main purpose of the author of the book of Job is defeated by that. 
There's a second interpretation of this book, and that's the literate interpretation. So the first is the literal, play-by-play, word-by-word. The second is literate. And what that means is that there's literary techniques in the book. There's things that are written a specific way. For example, when Job, his servants are out there and all of his oxen, as a wealthy man, all of them are destroyed and the servant comes back and says, and I alone have escaped to tell you. The servant, can you go to the next slide, please? The servant comes back and he says, I alone have escaped to tell you. Then he loses all of his sheep and the servant comes back and he says, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then he loses his camels, and the servant comes back and he says, I alone have escaped to tell you. Then he loses his children, and the servant comes back and he says, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I believe that's a literary technique. Repetition, do we really believe that every servant came back and said exactly the same thing? So I I lean toward that interpretation. I don't want to be too strong here. This book is placed in the wisdom literature. It's not found beside 1 Samuel and Kings, and Genesis, and Exodus, which are historical narrative. It's found in the wisdom literature, which is kind of like a clue saying, think deeply about this. Don't don't take everything literal. Listen, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus told a parable, and the parable is making a point. It's telling us information about God, but you can't take his parables too literally because they're stories that he's telling to impart a truth. So I lean this way, but I don't want to be too strong on that. The literate interpretation would say that the opening chapter of Job is staging. The conversation between God and the Satan is a prop to to create a scenario that is similar to ours. We don't know what goes on in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realms. We're on earth in the cave trying to make sense of life. One thing I want us all to hear very clearly, if you lean toward the literal or if you lean toward the literate, either way we need to take the scripture seriously. We need to say, what is the author trying to tell us? That is the question we need to ask. Everyone with me? Okay, let's look at Job chapter 1 verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job has a response here to suffering which is remarkable. And I want to be really strong on this. If you read this book, if you read this Bible, then the thing that you must be convinced of is all people will suffer. It's common for us. Whether it's death cancer, or some incredible hardship. It's got our name on it. It's going to happen, and the book of Job tells us how to handle that. The book, what Job does here is Job does not take his faith and throw it away. Job, in a sense, says, I'm going to worship God even if I can't understand God because God's God and I'm not. And I want to contrast Job with his wife. Job's wife gives what I think is the worst advice given by any person at any time. 
Curse God and die. Let's just think through that. Think about how practical that is. Okay, you're having a hard time, so hey, I have an idea. How about you get rid of the thought of God and just suffer alone? But that is the path that millions of people take. A lot of, of people are tempted to engage in this kind of revenge against God. You took my grandmother before I thought she should die. And so I'm going to be angry and I'm not going to believe. Let's think through that. Does the person who takes that course, did they not know that their grandmother might die someday? Did they not? Of course they knew that. It's not intellectual law at all. It's emotional. I'm angry. I'm hurting. But instead of turning toward God, they throw God under the bus. There's a great quote by Matt Chandler. And uh, I don't know if I'll get this exactly right. Uh, but inside of every one of us, there is an insidious prosperity gospel. And what he means by that is even if you see the foolishness of the prosperity gospel that God just wants to bless you and make you happy and healthy and wealthy, even if you see the foolishness of that, there's something in our hearts that thinks God really should just bless our lives and make it easy. And the book of Job dismantles that. This is the worst advice ever. I want you to look at Psalm 56, verse 8. This is David uh, about a thousand years before Christ, and this is what his understanding of God was. He said, you've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. This is a God that when we suffer is locked onto us and engaging and caring. That's the God that David saw. We've mentioned this before. Some of you have just recently come to faith in Jesus or you're on the way and you're not quite there yet. But we encourage you to not adopt a transactional faith. A transactional faith is, if I follow Jesus, then God will bless me. And I think my own life has been much more difficult by believing in Jesus and yet much more beautiful. Do not follow Job's wife. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Love this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I can't, I can't understand what's going on, but even if I die, I'm going to die trusting my God. I've mentioned this before that my father-in-law modeled this for me better than any human being I've ever seen when he had cancer and never complained a single time. And I watched him go from 220 to 120. It's amazing. He was Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And yet I want you to notice the second half. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. I will argue with God. I will debate with God. I will cry out. I will ask, why are you doing this? We'll look at that a little deeper here. So into the scene here, Job is suffering and, and up come his friends. Job's friends. 
Ah, Job's friends. They do one thing really well, and then they do another thing rather poorly. Uh, First of all, the scripture says, we're not going to look at it, but the scripture says that they sat in silence for seven days. They didn't say a word to him. Again, I think that's a, a literary technique. I do not believe that Job's friends didn't speak for seven days. This is the author trying to indicate how empathetic they were. But let's just follow that for a minute anyway. What a beautiful image of empathy and relating to someone who's hurting. To just sit there in the dirt with Job. To weep with those that weep, as the New Testament tells us. To mourn with those that mourn. Chapter 22, uh, verses 5 through 10. Job's friends do great until they open their mouth. Is not your evil abundant? I do not encourage you to share that with a hurting friend. I mean, holy smokes, Job, tell your friends to shut up. Well, he does, actually. Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. Fancy word for sin there. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. None of this is true. Uh, You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land. Next verse. And the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Verse 10. Therefore... Snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you. His theology here, just so you see his theology, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things have happened to you, therefore you are bad. That is his theology. I love what Jesus said, in this world you will have suffering, you'll have trouble. Not going to understand it, not going to know why, but it's coming. And that brings us to the first thing I want you all to catch here this morning. Number one is don't try to explain suffering to those who are suffering. Don't try to explain suffering. Don't try to make sense of it. Just let it be. Just let it be. Just sit there in the dirt and weep. Best thing you can do. I've had Christians try to explain why I've gone through hard times. And I've had Christians metaphorically sit in the dirt next to me. The second one has made all the difference in the world. The first one didn't do anything for me at all. It just made me angry. Let's look at Job 7. So we've seen what Job's friends say, and now we're going to look at what Job says in response. I loathe my life. I love that verse. I love that Job felt the freedom to be so honest about his emotions with God. I've met plastic Christians. I've met Christians that are like, oh, God is good. It's like, God is good, but you're going through it. You're allowed, you're invited to be real. I loathe my life. (laughs) I want to make a Christian t-shirt that says that. 
I would not live forever. I don't want to live forever, he's saying. Leave me alone. He's speaking to God now. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. This is not an an accurate picture of God here, okay? This is him mourning. How long? Will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? You ever felt that way? Like, there's the bullseye on my back. Why did you make me your mark? What have I done to burden you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth, you shall seek me but I shall not be. He's on this emotional roller coaster. I want you to understand this here. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. We have the opening chapter, which is uh, setting the stage. We have the last five chapters or so, which is God speaking to Job. And everything in the middle is Job's friends saying, you have sinned, and Job lamenting. Chapter after chapter after chapter of Job doing something that we don't want to do. And that's to grieve and lament and mourn. So the second point I want to make here, we're invited to grieve when we're suffering. I don't know if that's strong enough. We're not, we're not just invited, like, you got to do this. I want you to think about this right now. Some of you guys have stuff that you've not grieved. I hate grieving. I'll talk with Pastor Steve about this. Like He'll say, you need to just mourn. It's like, I don't want to do that. I just want to feel better. Can we just do that? Can we skip the mourning, just move to the happy? Just get me there, Steve. Come on, fix me. You ever walk down? This would be a great assignment for everybody. Walk down the medicine aisle in a grocery store. There's not one or two. There's hundreds of medicines if your throat hurts, take this. If your head hurts, take this. If your head, but not your throat, but if your throat, not, take this. Everything. It's like, America's like, we hate suffering. And like, God's like, oh, guys, suffering's really pretty good for you if you think about it. The best times in my life when I've felt so close to God have been in the middle of a storm, in hardship. It's humbled me. It's, it's made me empathetic. There was no empathy in me. I have just a little bit of empathy now after much difficulty. It's a good thing. I love what C.S. Lewis said, by the way. Pain and suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a sleepy world. It's like we don't think God is there, and sometimes God brings pain and suffering into our lives to get our attention, that we'd wake up and turn to him. Job 23. I love Job's firm, unmovable faith here. Verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. I'm not backing down. I'm not going away. Verse 11, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And this leads us to the third thing. The third thing is this. A sovereign God is our only hope when suffering. A sovereign God is our only hope 
There's a lot of debate about this. Like, where, where is God in the universe? Is God just watching and not interacting? Well, if he is interacting, if God is intimately involved in our lives and in every detail, my belief is that God is before, behind, above, and below, and in every circumstance. Does that mean God wants every circumstance to happen? Absolutely not. He hates evil, but he's sovereign. Well, what does that mean? It means that in the darkest moments of life, God can move in redemptively and bring about beautiful things from ugly things. A lot of people struggle with this and say, well, wait a minute, how could God allow this evil? But you can believe in a God that is in control of everything and hates the evil that happened to us. You guys know the story of Horatio Spafford? Probably not. So uh, Horatio Spafford had four children, one wife, Anna, and um, he lost his first child early in the boy's life. And then his business got burned down in the great fire of Chicago in 1871. And then his wife and children were crossing the Atlantic Ocean and the ship went down and he lost all of his kids. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to be the wife, to send the telegram saying, I lived and all of the children died. So Horatio Spafford got onto a ship to go over and meet his wife, and he passed over the very place where his children died. The captain of the ship said that. Here's where it happened. And he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And if someone who lost four kids can say that, then I can say that, and you can say that. Job demands that God show up, and God shows up. Chapter 38. It's interesting, God takes Job on a tour of the universe, and uh, he asks him a series of questions about cosmology about the oceans, about the stars, about creatures that God has made. In order to ask Job, do you really think you know anything? Then how can you judge me? Chapter 38, verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? You ever done that? You ever caused the sun to rise? Verse 22. Have you ever entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? This is a metaphor, an image. He's saying, I'm the God of these storms. I control them. Verse 25, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? You ever, you, this awesome thunderstorms that we have here in Orlando. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? I think I got that right. Or loose the cords of Orion. And he's saying, Job, I control the stars, galaxies. God is interacting with the universe in ways that we can't possibly comprehend. And as we see God for who he is, as the creator God all wise, we can trust him when life doesn't make sense to us. 
At the end of this long discourse from God, Job responds, and I want us to look at just a little bit of it. Job 42, verse 1. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Let's just stop. What is Job saying here? He's saying, now, after you've spoken to me, I get it. I see that you can run a universe that is broken and messed up and still be God and still be loving and still be good and be in control. I see that you can do all things. I want to skip, Steve, to verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In other words, God, I knew you were there. You were a concept. You were an idea. I had some faith that there was a God, but now I know you personally. Now I've met you. Now you've intervened in my life. Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This does not mean that he had a low self-esteem at this point on. Quite the opposite. He's saying, my actions toward you to question you have been wrong. And I take it back, is what he is saying. This leads us to the fourth thing I want you to see. God's answer to suffering isn't an answer, but a person. Think about this. God doesn't say to us, here's why... That horrible evil that happened to you, here's why. Just wanted to explain it to you. He doesn't do that. He will never do that, at least not until we see him. God's answer is not an explanation of sex trafficking and food shortage and all of the evils on this planet. God's answer is him. He's like, just look at me in my abundant wisdom. And what's interesting is that Job was satisfied. That was enough. It's like, okay, I've seen you. That's all. I, this has helped me so much to know I don't need to have an answer. I don't need to. If I can just see God and see God's character, that's enough for me. Oswald Chambers was asked by his wife. They had seen some kind of a tragedy. And Oswald Chambers' wife said, I wonder what God is doing. And Oswald Chambers looked at her, and he's, this is so wise. He said, I don't concern myself with what God is doing, only with what God is. What is God? God is loving and good and sovereign and in control. And it leads us to the last thing I want to say here, number five, is that the suffering of Job anticipates the gospel of Jesus. I said this a week ago. I want to make sure we all understand this. Last week ago, as we talked about the book of Ecclesiastes, which the message is, life is meaningless. It's meaningless. And we're all like, wait a minute here. It's like someone saying to you, I have something very important to say, dot, dot, dot. And you get the message, and you're waiting. Well, send me the message. What's the message? And so... Those that heard the message of Ecclesiastes were just waiting, waiting until Jesus came. And now it's like, oh, life does have meaning. Now that Jesus has arrived, now we get it. And so I, I want you to look at Job. All he had was this encounter with God. And he said, my heart is satisfied. That's enough. But then Jesus comes, 
And Jesus explodes our view of God so that now we can see that, wow, God actually enters into suffering. He's not distant and aloof. He enters into suffering and even the evil that we have done in our lives. And he says, I'll take that on my back on the cross. I want to invite our band up here to lead us in worship, but I want us all to reflect on four things that I want you to hear. Some of you here, the first thing is this, some of you are Job. Maybe right now, maybe at some time in the past, and I just want to ask you, have you mourned? Have you grieved? Have you lamented? This is extremely important to do because until you mourn the loss of what you've lost, the channel of our faith remains clogged. I hate mourning. I just know that I must do it. Have you mourned what you need to mourn? Probably every single person here can think of something and say, okay, I've got to go mourn and grieve this. And you'll find, I found that when I mourned, I don't like it, but then my joy is deeper on the other side. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I would bet that every single person here knows a Job. Maybe it's just a little Job. Maybe it's a Job with a bunch of exclamation marks. But we all know somebody that's suffering. Have you moved into that? Have you moved into that? Have you understood that faith in Jesus, following Jesus, means to be his hands and feet to people that are going through a hard time? I want you to think of who that person is right now. Who is that person? What would it look like for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person this week? Maybe that's a card. Maybe that's just taking that person out for coffee and talking. Maybe it's just saying, hey, just want you to know I'm here and I care about you. Third thing is a simple question this morning. Do you know God? Because as Job illustrates, there's a difference between knowing intellectually that he's there and meeting him in person. And the beautiful thing is we get to meet God in person through Jesus. Have those dots been connected for you? That's why we do Starting Point. We'd love to help you connect those dots. And the last thing is simply this. Will you today say what you really need to say every day of your life? Will you take your life and just say, I put it at your feet, King Jesus. Though you slay me, I will still trust you. I will not turn away. I will never turn away from you because you love me and you're God and you're worthy and you've revealed yourself. Can you we stand and worship here this morning? Great God, turn our hearts to you uh, this morning. We ask that you move upon us, move upon our hearts. Give us courage, give us hope. Prompt us, poke us, direct us here today. We thank you that you have revealed yourself not only in Job, but also in Jesus. We know the answer to suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. And we worship him now.